A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 51 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 4, Episodes 49 and 50 for Parts 1 and 2 of this four-part case. The next instalment will be available next week. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Stuart Lubbock was pronounced dead at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Harlow, Essex, on the morning of March 31st, 2001. He had attended a party at the home of celebrity entertainer Michael Barrymore. Alcohol was free-flowing and traces of cocaine and ecstasy were found in Stuart's system. Not one of the eight other partygoers could shine a light on what happened other than to say Stuart was found lifeless in the swimming pool. A pathologist ruled he drowned and police at first accepted that explanation assuming it to be a tragic accident. But ominously, Stuart's body exhibited injuries consistent with a severe sexual assault. Several arrests were made in connection with his death, but no one was ultimately charged. An inquest was held to better understand what happened. Although one pathologist who carried out the initial post-mortem believed Stuart drowned, three others were unable to arrive at a cause of death, 
each concluding it should have been recorded as unascertained. Perplexingly, while it was agreed that Stewart's internal injuries were consistent with a sexual assault, no one could pinpoint how or when they were caused. Also, several guests at the party and the host Michael Barrymore were questioned, but their responses either made little sense or were not comprehensive enough to construct a full timeline to the events. No one, it seemed, was above suspicion. Frustratingly, Barrymore refused to answer any questions that related to drug use at the house, despite several witnesses mentioning that he offered them drugs, even alleging that he rubbed cocaine in Stuart Lubbock's gums, an accusation that would rear its head for years to come. It was hoped there would be some answers. Those answers never came. On September 13th, 2002, at the offices of Epping Forest District Council, the inquest into Stuart Lubbock's death was concluded. The frustrations during the proceedings were felt no more so than by the coroner Caroline Beasley Murray, who believed that she was left with no other choice than to pass the verdict she did. The coroner said, Not one of these witnesses who were party guests at this house has given any explanation about how Stuart Lubbock, a fit 31-year-old, should have been found floating in the swimming pool with a significant level of alcohol and drugs in his system, and how serious anal injuries came to be found on his body. Caroline Beasley Murray recorded an open verdict. This meant that it was not an accident, not a death by misadventure, not natural causes, not suicide, and due to the lack of evidence, neither could it be recorded as an unlawful killing. A swarm of journalists and photographers crowded the stairs that led to the building where the inquest was held. Within minutes of the open verdict, the dead man's family walked out of the coroner's court, expressing their disappointment that so many questions remained unanswered, but refusing to give up their pursuit of the truth. Along with Stuart's parents and his brother, the Lubbock family solicitor gave a statement on their behalf. The learned coroner has today recorded an open verdict and the family, although disappointed, understand and accept that verdict. They draw comfort from the fact that the Essex Police file, Operation Hawthorne, is not closed. They are pleased that the circumstances in which Stuart met his death have now been made public. Detective Chief Superintendent Ian McNeil, the senior investigating officer, spoke to the press after the verdict and said that despite the extensive time and effort committed to finding out what had happened, he was not surprised with the outcome. DCS McNeil stated, Essex Police thoroughly investigated this incident, took advice from a number of eminent expert witnesses and submitted a wealth of exhibits for forensic analysis. In addition, files of evidence were submitted to the Crown Prosecution Service. Although there is no ongoing investigation, this outcome allows the police to act on any new information that comes to light. A violent assault took place shortly before Stuart Lubbock's death. We have been unable to establish who was responsible for either his injuries or his death. 
The man who headed the original police investigation says he believes some of the people who were at Michael Barrymore's house that night could be withholding information out of a false sense of loyalty to others. He hopes with the passing of time they'll realise such loyalty is misplaced and come forward with the answers Stuart Lubbock's family are desperately seeking. A cloud of suspicion still hung over the case, but at least the ruling meant that a prosecution was still possible if further evidence was gathered. Three out of the four pathologists could not give an exact cause of death, but they all concluded that Stuart did not have the internal injuries before he left the nightclub. Michael Barrymore's solicitor told the waiting press that his client was relieved that the inquest was over and said that he was thankful that it had been so comprehensive, despite an open verdict being recorded. David Corker was adamant that his client was in no way responsible for what had happened. There has been no evidence at all this week that he played any role or has any responsibility for the death of Stuart Lubbock. Not a single witness came to court this week, be they expert witness, be they party guest or of any other category, to say that that they saw Mr Barrymore do anything or say anything or play any role whatsoever in how Mr Lubbock met his death in the swimming pool on that tragic night. David Corker went on to say, An eminent toxicologist at the hearing said that in his judgment, alcohol and swimming pools are a lethal combination. And these two are together in this case. All the experts said the alcohol and drugs taken by Mr Lubbock were sufficient to cause death. In other words, the injuries themselves played no role whatsoever in how he met his death. They remain unexplained where they were inflicted and who inflicted them. Addressing questions about the testimony provided which alleged Barrymore rubbed cocaine on Stewart's gums, David Corker said, This was about cause of death. It was not about drug taking. Almost as soon as the ink was dry on the newspaper pages reporting on the outcome of the inquest, Cheryl Barrymore Michael Barrymore's ex-wife accused her former husband of lying under oath. Cheryl claimed that she had often witnessed Barrymore doing lengths in the very swimming pool where Stuart Lubbock had died, despite his claims at the inquest that he could not swim. Cheryl Barrymore also alleged that she often saw her ex-husband of 20 years rubbing cocaine into his gums, and it was something he had done to other people. In other jaw-dropping allegations, she claimed that he had been violent towards her and drugged her, something that would be repeated in later years. In July before the inquest, Cheryl had spoken to the press of her hopes for the outcome of the proceedings and her life with Barrymore, but gave little indication of the allegations that she would be making only months later. I feel incredibly sorry for that family, she said. I can't imagine what they are going through, and it affects me terribly. My natural instinct is to do something, but I worry that it's none of my business. Cheryl and her ex-husband had divorced five years earlier, and she still felt a connection to where the incident happened. It was my house. We built the pool. It was my life, and I've taken what happened very badly. This has gone on such a long time, 
and I want them to get some answers and some peace. If it were your son, you would want to know why and how. It was reported that Cheryl Barrymore's lawyer contacted the Lubbock family's legal team to inform them of the developments. This opened up the possibility of perjury charges and civil action. Michael Barrymore's solicitor was contacted and denied there was any truth to the claim made by Cheryl Barrymore about her ex-husband. David Corker told the BBC, He cannot swim. He says he couldn't swim yesterday and he cannot swim today. The allegation of him dabbing cocaine on gums, that's totally untrue. Michael Mansfield, Barrymore's lawyer, also raised the issue of the media and how it affected the inquest, as before it took place, Justin Merritt was paid a substantial amount of money for an interview. Mansfield said, One witness admitted he had been paid £30,000. It seems to me that the Attorney General or someone, certainly the government, has to get a grip on the situation. Describing the headlines about the case as lurid and inaccurate, Mansfield also went on to say, Something has to change. I've been in the job for 30 years, and it's worse now than it's ever been, because the tabloids have vast sums of money and resources, and I think they don't really care. With Michael Barrymore's next steps playing out in the newspaper pages across the country, the book deal which he had signed over six months before Stuart Lubbock's death was being scrutinised. BBC Worldwide, a commercial arm of the Broadcasting Association, obtained the rights to the autobiography Running Away From Myself in September 2000. Labelled a warts and all account, it would cover Barrymore's life and his rise in the entertainment industry. But following the death of Stuart Lubbock, changes were made so that later chapters in the book would now be dedicated to that night. There was some opposition to its release, as Barrymore was reportedly rumoured to have received a royalty advance in the region of half a million pounds. The amount was later found to be inaccurate, however it was still a considerable sum of money. The then Shadow Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, John Whittingdale, was frustrated at Barrymore's apparent lack of transparency at the inquest only for the details to be appearing in a book about his life. Whittingdale said, Most people will be deeply shocked that Michael Barrymore is going to profit from a book about the death of Stuart Lubbock when he refused to give details to the inquest. The fact that the money comes from the taxpayer via the licence fee is outrageous. The BBC must think again. As momentum grew, there was a public outcry with calls for the book's release to be stopped altogether. Answering questions on BBC Radio 4's Today programme, William Rees-Mogg, former editor for the Times newspaper and former vice chairman of the BBC's Board of Governors, said, Publication of this book could only damage the BBC's reputation. I'd be astonished if the governors agreed to continue. I'm amazed it got this far. The lawyer for the Lubbock family, Peter Richards, was also interviewed to voice his frustrations. 
I feel very strongly on behalf of the family that this is a project which should now be scrapped without delay, he said. He described the book's release as squalid and unfortunate. To try and allay the mounting concerns, a spokesperson for the BBC described what the book would cover, insisting that Barrymore would not be including any information about the case that was not publicly available. The spokesperson said, It's part of a set of celebrity biographies. Obviously, at the time, we didn't know what was going to happen since he was commissioned to write a full account of his personal life and career in show business. The publishing date is late October, therefore it will cover his life up to the present. The later chapters will cover the death of Mr Lubbock. We have been assured that there is nothing in the book relevant to the investigation into Mr Lubbock's death, which has not already been divulged to the police or coroner's court. The statement concluded, No one would wish to cause any more distress but the decision to include Mr. Lubbock's death in the book hasn't been taken lightly by him or by the publisher. There would be yet further negative publicity that would dog the book's release, as it was discovered that the senior investigating officer only came to learn of its existence when Barrymore told DCS McNeil during the inquest that he would be mentioning the officer in a good light. Again, the BBC were on the back foot and coming under fire for not being transparent. Essex police already felt that Barrymore was holding something back about that night, then choosing not to answer any questions about drugs being consumed at his home raised suspicions, and now he was going to be revealing his thoughts in a new book. This only fanned the flames of frustration for the police and dismay for the public. BBC worldwide stance continuing with the release of Michael Barrymore's autobiography did not last long, when it was decided following an appeal from Stuart Lubbock's family and a sea of public pressure, the book would be shelved indefinitely. The BBC held the rights and would not be returning them to Michael Barrymore. The troubled celebrity would receive yet more bad news when it was announced that Caroline Beasley Murray The coroner who oversaw the inquest had referred an allegation of perjury to the Essex police after Barrymore's ex-wife came forward to say her former husband lied about not being able to swim. Details of the couple's time together was later chronicled in a book written by Cheryl. The memoir titled Catch a Falling Star, My Life with Michael Barrymore was far from flattering and somewhat disturbing as Cheryl recalled how she was attacked by her then-husband and alleged that she was drugged. She wrote, His explosions of anger and violence could be terrifying. In the grip of these rages, he would destroy the things that he once loved, furniture, ornaments and rooms. Eventually, it would be my turn. Through his solicitor, Barrymore denied the allegations including Cheryl's assertion that he could swim. He said he would be happy to speak to the police about the matter. If the allegation was true, it would be a very, very serious matter, yeah. But Mr Barrymore says he can't swim, and the allegation is untrue. Following the divorce, 
Cheryl Barrymore suffered from ill health and passed away three years after the book's release. She was diagnosed with lung cancer in the spring of 2005, six weeks before she died. Barrymore's troubles would not end there. The same week that he found out his autobiography was cancelled, news broke that Michael Barrymore was told by the British television channel ITV, who had aired several of the television programmes he had hosted, that they would no longer be working with the entertainer. ITV had stood by Barrymore following Stuart Lubbock's death, his arrest on drugs charges and his time spent in several clinics to treat addiction but no more. He was at one time one of the highest paid television entertainers in the UK. A portion of the announcement read, We have reviewed the position again and can confirm that ITV has no plans to commission any new programmes featuring Michael Barrymore. It was rumoured that most, if not all, of the other major television networks would also no longer be working with the celebrity. While Barrymore did not address the outcome directly, his lawyer David Corker responded. In light of the continued unrelenting hostile media portrayals of Mr Barrymore since the inquest, it is unsurprising for ITV to have reached this decision. Mr Barrymore has been made aware of the decision. He accepts it and agrees that ITV had no choice, taking into account the hostile media climate. Just over two weeks after the inquest, a bombshell was dropped on the investigation. Dr Michael Heath, the Home Office pathologist who conducted Stuart Lubbock's initial post-mortem, was the subject of an episode of File on Four, a BBC Radio 4 programme. He was one of the pathologists at the inquest and he insisted that he knew how Stuart had died. The radio show examined issues with the field of forensic pathology. It cited a number of problems with Dr Heath's findings on several cases. Heath believed that Stuart had drowned, and so the police investigation into the incident was led by this decision. Three other pathologists believed the cause of death to be unascertained, with it considered Stuart could have died during an assault, the small marks described as petechia were found on his face that were consistent with asphyxiation. The rebuttal was not offered against the claims made on File on Four, as Dr Michael Heath chose not to be interviewed for the radio programme. This raised the possibility that the evidence offered by Dr Heath, in which he firmly believed it was a drowning, would need to be questioned. As rumours began to swirl that now not only was Stuart Lubbock sexually assaulted, but his death might be something more than just an accident, addressing his involvement and lack of clarity he provided during the inquest, Michael Barrymore gave his first interview since invoking his right to decline to answer any questions that incriminated him in a crime. From a hotel in Dubai, sitting cross-legged holding his hand to his temple, Barrymore was questioned by Fiona Phillips for GMTV. 
he denied he rubbed Stewart's gums with cocaine. Barrymore vehemently contested he could swim, explaining that he only ever stood in the shallow end of the pool, which Barrymore claimed was included when he bought the one-story mansion with his wife. Barrymore made it clear that Stewart did not receive the severe internal injuries at his home. You can call me a lousy entertainer, but you can't call me a killer, he said, adding, when my time's due, when I meet Stuart again, he knows. He knows nothing was done to him, not at my house, and I know. On the subject of his wife's claims that he could in fact swim, a claim also backed up by Barrymore's former bodyguard Stephen Gilby, he said, I cannot swim. I cannot float. I don't know why Cheryl's doing this. We haven't spoken in five years since the divorce. It ended nastily, unfortunately. It's sad she's had to lie, and I don't know why she's lying. I know what the implication is. Why didn't I jump in and get Stuart out? Then there'd be two of us dead. Or is that what everybody wants? I'm not trying to make light of this. It's not funny. The pool was there when I bought the house. I didn't think, oh, I can't swim, I'll have a pool put in. Michael Barrymore insisted that at the inquest, he truthfully answered all the questions asked of him, and only declined to answer those questions which might open up the possibility of prosecution of not only him, but others at the party. He claimed that the pathologists at the inquest said that drugs played no significant part in Stuart's death. At no time did I give Stuart Lubbock cocaine, he said. I did not rub any cocaine into Stuart's gums. Fiona Phillips then asked, Despite the fact that Cheryl said she had seen you doing that to yourself. Cheryl said that, a surprised Barrymore asked. Barrymore was then questioned that surely someone must have seen Stuart in trouble. So why did he die? He replied, There were eight people in the house. A couple of girls said they were in the jacuzzi and Stuart was in there. Stuart was diving in and out of the pool doing that bomb diving thing. So the others say that they got out of the jacuzzi because the air outside was cold. They came back in the house. There was a ten minute gap when he's on his own and then I go out, look down and see him. Obviously his dad, his mum, everybody is devastated and wants answers. But I want answers too. That search for answers would lead to a new development when it was revealed that Barrymore's legal team identified a key witness who treated Stuart when he arrived at the hospital. They believe this witness could provide further evidence to corroborate the belief that Stuart did not receive the injuries at Barrymore's home on Beaumont Park Drive. Barrymore claimed one of the nurses who did all they could to revive Stuart said that he noted none of the injuries that the pathologist mentioned. Nurse Stuart Nern carried out a temperature check with a rectal thermometer, but in his police statement he said he saw no evidence of the internal trauma suffered. He was not questioned at the inquest. As it was recorded, he was not available. Speaking to GMTV on the topic of Stuart's relatives, Barrymore said that he had not made contact with them, as he had been advised not to. He would, however, be happy to meet them. God knows what it's like for the Lubbock family, 
and I'm sorry. I couldn't be more sorry, and I'm devastated, he said. But following the interview on GMTV, Stuart's father Terry Lubbock appeared on the same television show. He said that Barrymore's interview was nothing more than empty words. Terry described Stuart's injuries as a hell of a mystery and wanted answers as to why Michael Barrymore left so soon after Stuart's body was found lying in the pool. Mr Barrymore left the party before the police arrived. Why did he do that, Terry said? What did he have under his arm? He had a bundle of something under his arm. Two witnesses saw him when he was doing this runner after the party. These things have got to be explained. They really have. While he did not answer those questions directly, Michael Barrymore continued to call for a second inquest based on what he described as the new information from the nurse who treated Stuart Lubbock. But it would later be discovered that this was not technically new information, as it came from a police statement and had been reviewed before the inquest. Caroline Beasley Murray was the ultimate authority when it came to who appeared and what evidence was presented, so she would have been fully aware of the existence of the statement. In October 2002, a month after the inquest, Michael Barrymore's words at the proceedings and his later GMTV interview, in which he said he could not swim, were coming back to haunt him. At the time, he told Fiona Phillips, If I could have swum, I would have jumped in and got Stuart out, but I doubt that would have saved his life. The implication is, well, that's another minute. I don't think so. But another person came forward to GMTV, telling them that they had also seen Barrymore swim. David Benson, a former drugs counsellor for Barrymore, had met him at a cocaine anonymous meeting in Malibu. Benson claimed on one occasion he watched on as Barrymore allegedly got in a pool and started swimming. Benson said he did not have an ulterior motive, but was, in his words, disappointed that Barrymore stood up in court and lied. The way it's going now is that Michael's acting the way he was when he was using drugs, Benson said. I know it sounds strange that I'm saying he's a liar, but if he doesn't face up to his responsibilities, He's never going to get well. Barrymore's solicitor was contacted for comment and he continued to insist that his client had told him he could not swim. Looking to avoid any connection whatsoever between Barrymore and the man found lifeless in his swimming pool, David Corker firmly replied, whether he can or can't swim has nothing to do with how Stuart Lubbock died. Despite the denial, this wasn't something that Barrymore could so easily shake off, as the Essex police force were continually being asked about whether or not the entertainer would face perjury charges. A spokesperson confirmed that the police were looking into the matter, although regardless of the witnesses coming forward with allegations that Barrymore could swim, there was a feeling that this still wouldn't be enough to see the police take action. The spokesperson said, the perjury inquiry is ongoing and the original investigation into Stuart Lubbock's death has never finished. Anybody who has any information that could help us take it forward should contact police. 
While there were several individuals who had come forward to state that Barrymore could swim, including his ex-wife, an interesting development unfolded. Barrymore's new business manager who had previously worked as his PA and was the person that was allowed to enter for Beaumont Park Drive before the property was sealed off by police came forward to say that the pair had taken swimming lessons together before the inquest. Mike Brown had a signed statement from a swimming instructor to prove it. Brown said, I have worked with Michael for 18 years and I have never seen him swim, dive or float. I have been on personal holidays with him as well as on business where on many occasions there have been pools. I can honestly say I have never seen him swim. Barrymore's new manager confirmed that his client would be taking swimming lessons when he returned from Mauritius where he had been staying. It can only be assumed Mike Brown raised this point in case any eagle-eyed photographers later caught a glimpse of Barrymore swimming. Whether or not Mike Brown's comments played any part in the perjury investigation is not public knowledge. But a few days before Christmas 2002, the Essex police were due to make an announcement regarding the charges. At first they wanted to contact all of the family members affected by the investigation to inform them about the decision made by the CPS before the public were made aware. However, upon learning the outcome, Michael Barrymore's solicitor was not willing to wait. David Corker confirmed that both the Essex Police Force and the Crown Prosecution Service had ended their investigation into his client. This is a very serious allegation, Corker said. If it has any substance, the police would normally interview the suspect, and the fact they haven't interviewed him means that it was pretty worthless from the beginning. Mr Barrymore is relieved at the decision of Essex Police and the Crown Prosecution Service to discontinue this investigation. With the weight of the perjury charges no longer hanging over his head, Michael Barrymore was now more willing to speak with journalists about the case, again repeating the point that an on-call nurse who treated Stuart Lubbock at the A&E department did not see the injuries when he was brought into the Princess Alexandra Hospital. From his home, Barrymore spoke with Tim Adams, writing for the Observer newspaper. He continued to petition for a second inquest, as he believed there was crucial evidence that had not been presented, which contradicted the theory that the injuries were sustained at the party. Revisiting the events and the medical procedures undertaken to revive Stuart as he was suffering from hypothermia, nurses poured hot water over his body to raise his temperature, using a rectal thermometer over a dozen times to check their progress. Stuart Nern, one of the on-call nurses that night, did not offer evidence at the inquest, as it was recorded he was unavailable, as he apparently could not be tracked down but had provided a witness statement. Speaking about his claim that Stuart Lubbock had not been injured, Nern said, I had a very good uninterrupted view of his anus in good light for a significant period. I saw nothing unusual or untoward about it. It was completely normal. If it had been dilated and significantly bruised, I am sure that I would have noticed. 
Moreover, I would have reported this to the doctor. It wasn't until eight hours later when a pathologist undertook his examination that the injuries which included tearing and severe bruising were identified. It was reported at the time that there was no blood found in Stuart's underwear that suggested any hemorrhaging. Michael Barrymore did not deny that Stuart suffered the injuries. He was unrelenting in his view that they did not occur at his home. He told reporter Tim Allen, What happened to Stuart here was that he drowned. He did not get hurt here. There was no orgy. It was just a few people carrying on drinking after a night out at a club. With a new year came a new inquiry. Determined to clear his name, Michael Barrymore's solicitor passed a five-page report to the Essex Police, which suggested that the internal injuries to Stuart Lubbock's body were caused at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. Barrymore spoke about the reinvestigation. I'm, I'm pleased and delighted that it's uh, going uh, down that road and it's going to be reinvestigated. It, it needs to be because uh, it needs to be dealt with properly. There had been two autopsies carried out, the first by Dr Michael Heath and the second by Professor Christopher Milroy, both of whom were certain that the injuries consistent with a severe sexual assault were not caused in the nightclub. At the inquest, both pathologists were confident that they could not have been caused by a thermometer. The Essex Police Force were satisfied with the line of inquiries identified in the previous investigation. Still, as they wanted to look into each and every possibility, a spokesperson said that an investigation would be launched. Terry Lubbock, who was becoming the voice of Stuart's surviving family, admitted that they might never learn the facts of the case, but was hopeful they would get justice. In all honesty, I don't think we will ever find out. Things have got so muddy and clouded now, they will never become clear. But in some way, we do feel that we will get justice in the end. In one shape or form, we will get justice. Terry also mentioned that he was considering the possibility of pursuing a civil case against Barrymore for encouraging the partygoers to drink alcohol while they were using his pool. In an interview on BBC Radio when the news of the inquiry broke, Michael Barrymore was determined that his point of view was being heard. He voiced his frustration about the lack of interest in the theory that Stuart received the injuries in hospital. Barrymore was also insistent that the person responsible should be charged, but he claimed that person was not him. I'm not guilty of anything, he told Radio 5 Line. If I did something, I should be inside, not wandering around free on the streets. Why does everyone throw their hands up in the air that it could have happened at the hospital? The investigation would take nearly a full year before Essex police reached a decision. The constabulary had been confident with the quality of the initial inquiry into Stuart Lubbock's death. However, they still examined the suggestions made by Barry Moore's legal team. Detectives reviewed the evidence gathered from 16 witnesses who included pathologists and hospital staff. 
they concluded that Stuart Lubbock did receive the injuries before he arrived at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. One of the members of this second investigation, Detective Superintendent Wynne Bernard, told reporters, This suggests that someone present at the address may know exactly what happened, and we will investigate any new information which we may receive. Offering a statement through his solicitor, Barrymore spoke of how disappointed he was with the decision made by the Essex police, as he believed this was contrary to the hospital staff's statements. This leaves a still unresolved situation regarding the facts for all concerned, especially Mr Lubbock's family, he said. While Stuart's family still did not have answers, they wanted compensation for his death, as his two children were now left without a father. During March 2004, Terry Lubbock took legal action against Michael Barrymore, suing him for £100,000. That would have been the money that Stuart would have provided for his children out of his wages to help bring them up. It's compensation for Stuart's two girls, Terry said. It was argued Barrymore failed in his duty of care when he retracted the top of his swimming pool on that night and allegedly encouraged the consumption of alcohol at his home. Stuart's father was determined to find out what happened and wanted to meet with the former entertainer as he said that Barrymore had never fully explained what went on. He told a reporter for the BBC, We have to keep our heads down. Keep going. Keep fighting. However, the possibility of receiving any compensation for Stuart's death went from slim to none when only two months later Michael Barrymore filed for voluntary bankruptcy. A tax bill which had culminated over the last ten years was reportedly the cause, with the amount close to £1.4 million. Stuart's father still sought damages even in the face of Barrymore's financial problems and was tenacious in his fight to speak to Barrymore, but he slowly realised what it cost him and the toll it was taking. He told a reporter for the Daily Mail, My life has now been taken over by this. I have got total and utter tunnel vision. I cannot see anything else. All I want is justice, and I am going to get it. On the subject of Barrymore declaring himself bankrupt, Stuart's father added, This is good news today. It means Barrymore is under even more pressure. He cannot get any worse. Now it seems he has no money. He's going to have to meet me and come clean. Almost two years would pass, and unsurprisingly, given Michael Barrymore's financial situation, Terry Lubbock's case for compensation stalled. However, his search for answers came one step closer when a private prosecution against Barrymore was not only made, but granted by a magistrate. Former solicitor Tony Bennett, who had been working independently but had the support of Stewart's family, raised the six charges which included being drunk and disorderly, possession of a Class B drug, the supply of a Class B drug, possession of a Class A drug, supply of a Class A drug, and assault. 
District Judge John Greaves allowed the prosecution to go ahead at Epping Magistrates after reviewing a 77-page document which laid out the case. The private prosecution can be started by an individual or entity who is not acting on behalf of the police or other prosecuting authority. In some instances, the Crown can even take over and continue proceedings if the evidence is sufficient and there is a public interest, although there are myriad other considerations needed before such a decision would be made. Delivering the papers regarding the case would be another matter altogether. At the time, Michael Barrymore was then a contestant on the reality show Big Brother, so the papers had to be served to the programme's producers. In a strange twist, Endemol Productions, the makers of the reality show, held off letting the contestant know that he was facing a private prosecution and refused his legal team the opportunity to update him about what was going on. It seemed they wanted the show to remain uninterrupted as it was due to finish less than a week later. Terry Lubbock said he was disgusted with their decision, telling reporters that the show's producers were stopping justice being done. I am completely gobsmacked. A judge asked for these papers to be delivered. This whole business is a battle and it should not be. Everyone is entitled to justice. My son Stuart is dead and he deserves some justice. This is ridiculous. Terry Lubbock had been protesting outside the location where Big Brother was filmed. And this was yet another incident in the long-running saga in which it was apparent that the shadow of Stuart Lubbock's death would forever be cast every time Michael Barrymore ever tried to reignite his career. The firm who represented Barrymore, Corker Binning, contacted the district judge John Greaves to let him know about the developments in the case. The letter read, We have contacted the production company responsible for Big Brother, Endemol Productions, and requested that we be granted access to Mr Barrymore to take his instructions. Endemol have written to us refusing to grant such access. Following discussions with Sean Davis, Michael Barrymore's long-term partner who he had since reconciled with, the legal firm requested to delay the case for several weeks to allow Barrymore to finish his appearance and prepare for his summons. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Only days following Michael Barrymore's release from the Big Brother house, in which he came second in the competition, Terry Lubbock finally got the chance to speak to Barrymore face to face, to ask him questions about what happened that night. During Barrymore's time on the reality show, Terry Lubbock had been outside the studio and was photographed holding a sign which read, Stuart Lubbock, tell us the truth, Barrymore. But in the meeting arranged by the Sun newspaper and held in private in a London hotel, Terry reportedly said, I don't hold you responsible for Stuart's death. I never have. I don't believe you had anything to do with what happened to him. According to the Sun newspaper, Barrymore responded, It haunts me every day. I feel so sorry for your loss. What I lost in comparison is nothing. What does a career and money mean in comparison to losing someone? I've wanted to meet you for a long time. I feel a huge weight has gone from me. The pair had reportedly spoken for two hours, and the article suggested the two were now working together to request Essex Police reopen the investigation. This raised the question as to whether a private prosecution against Barrymore was still going ahead. Tony Bennett, the solicitor that raised the private action, was interviewed by the BBC. He said, Nothing that's appeared in The Sun or any other newspaper has dissuaded me from continuing. Based on the facts and evidence as I know them, nothing has persuaded me to change that. When questioned if he would stop if Terry Lubbock requested he do so, Bennett replied, I would reconsider my position but you must remember that I provided good evidence to the court. There now seemed to be some form of peace between Terry Lubbock and Michael Barrymore, with it suggested that the two men had found common ground. However, it was not long, ten days to be exact, before Terry Lubbock was again featured in the pages of the national press when he spoke of his frustrations believing he had been, quote, stitched up. The meeting recounted in the Sun article did not truly reflect the nature of the private conversation between Barrymore and Terry Lubbock. Terry had provided material to explain what had happened on that night, but it seemed this information was ignored, and the Sun simply followed the events as told by Barrymore. In an interview with The Guardian speaking about The Sun's coverage, 
Terry Lubbock reportedly said, I went in there with my eyes open, but it was not until I'd been at the meeting and got back home that the penny dropped. A complaint was filed with the Sun's editor Rebecca Brooks, or Rebecca Wade as she was then known, in which Stewart's father said his privacy was not fully respected. He wanted to seek the ability to reply via a printed statement in the newspaper. Tony Bennett, who was still helping the Lubbock family mount a private prosecution, suggested that the coverage was unbalanced. I can't say the Sun printed lies, he said but the extent to which they have chosen some material and ignored others is so selective as to produce a very unfair and very inaccurate analysis. For the interview with the Sun newspaper, Terry received £2,000, considerably less than Michael Barrymore. Every penny went towards the Lubbock Trust, a body set up to find out what happened to Stuart and seek justice by ensuring the person responsible for his injuries was convicted. In addition to the son's questionable coverage, the Lubbock family received yet more bad news when they heard the private prosecution against Barrymore would no longer be possible as the case had been blocked by a district judge at South End Magistrates Court. The family just wanted answers, but every time they came close, their hopes were dashed. I'd like to offer a quote from Mr Barrymore um, after today's announcement. Mr Bennett's motivation to seek the truth as to how Mr Stuart Lubbock received the injuries to his body is absolutely right. I remain totally committed, as I always have been, to continue to pursuing the truth to come out about Stuart Lubbock's death on that tragic evening and would very much welcome working alongside Mr Terry Lubbock to uncover the truth. If people think that we are giving up, they've got another thing coming because we will go on until we get truth and justice for my son. Judge Kevin Gray halted the private prosecution as he believed there was not enough evidence. Disappointed, Solicitor Tony Bennett said, The application was refused for a number of reasons. I felt that we had grounds to launch a private prosecution, but the judge took a different view. I'm not aware of any other legal route now unless somebody comes up with... um some new evidence, some party-goer or somebody that the party-goers have talked to who can give some new evidence that would allow the inquest to be reopened or would allow the police to pursue their investigation. So the whole progress now depends on some new snippet of information coming forward. Some new information would come to light only a day later directly from one of the people that were in the house the night Stuart died. On February 11th, 2006, the News of the World published a story that would open up the possibility that Kylie Merritt may have lied at the inquest. Kylie was going to be paid for an article that would verify the claims about what Michael Barrymore had done in those early morning hours during the period leading up to Stuart's death but it was when she was asked if she had been truthful about Barrymore rubbing cocaine in Stuart's gums that cracks started to appear. She was highly agitated 
and briefly refused to continue being asked questions about what happened. The reason for her unhappiness? Kylie was wired to a polygraph machine. The accuracy of lie detector tests can certainly be questioned. However, when asked again if she had been honest about her statement regarding Michael Barrymore rubbing cocaine in Stuart's gums, she said no. This information was forwarded to the Essex police. They in turn spoke to both the News of the World associate editor Phil Taylor and Jeremy Barrett, an expert who conducted the test. It certainly cast some doubt on the claims the merits made against Barrymore. However, after Essex police reviewed the evidence and consulted with the Crown Prosecution Service, much like Michael Barrymore four years earlier, it was decided Kylie Merritt would not face charges. It is not known why. Throughout 2006, Essex police continued in their search to find out what happened, utilising a team of former officers who re-examined the details. Although Terry Lubbock had met with Barrymore, he continued to petition the TV personality to do the right thing, as he felt that Barrymore had abandoned him after giving him his word they were going to the police together to fight for a new investigation. After the meeting... Barrymore had no further contact with Terry. Stuart's father appealed for help, but had not received a reply. I trusted Michael, and he gave me his word, Terry said. As Michael Barrymore had appeared on the reality television show Big Brother, he was again in the public eye. To capitalise on his re-emergence in the spotlight, he released an autobiography all white now, setting the record straight. It covered the ups and downs of his life, his childhood, the disintegration of his marriage, his struggles with alcohol, the death of Stuart Lubbock, and what happened next. As the book dealt with Barrymore's version of the events of that fateful night and early morning hours during the last days of March 2001, Stuart's father Terry was furious. So along with Tony Bennett, who had tried to mount a private prosecution on behalf of the Lubbock family, they co-authored their own book in response, titled Not All White, Getting Away With Murder. The book covers Stuart's life, and through the use of police statements otherwise unavailable elsewhere, it produced an account of each individual's recollection of the night in question. It even attempts to build a timeline of what happened despite the incredibly confusing, conflicting and often incoherent statements provided to the authorities. The authors also offered their theories on what happened, including a claim that Stuart Lubbock did not drown, but was raped and murdered. It also argues that Stuart's body could have been staged to look like a drowning as two pathologists suggested Stuart could have been put in the water after he died. One point raised in the book mentioned that Stuart was dressed only in a pair of light grey boxer shorts when he was found. While there are inconsistencies in statements, it was claimed Stuart was in the jacuzzi in dark-coloured swimming shorts. Is it possible his light-coloured boxer shorts looked dark when they were wet, 
or if he was wearing swimming shorts, had they been removed? And if so, where were they? In Claire Jones' statement, she told police, Stuart was wearing a dark-coloured baseball cap. I think he had shorts on, possibly black-coloured. Clarifying, Claire said, I think Stuart Lubbock was wearing shorts because I don't remember being alarmed, and I think I would have been if he just had underpants. She had seen a pair of plain dark shorts earlier in the evening in an open drawer of one of the bedrooms. Also, what can be gleaned from the comprehensive republishing of the police statements, providing the events were accurately recalled by Claire Jones, is that there is a point where all the guests except Stuart Lubbock congregate in the master bedroom. This appears to be after Stuart, Jonathan Kenny, and Justin Merritt were in the jacuzzi together, but before Barrymore tried to kiss James Futters. Michael Barrymore was smoking cannabis from a pipe. After this point, Barrymore left the room possibly to go to the second bedroom, although it is not clear at what point Shaw and Futters joined him. The three young women, Kylie Merritt, Claire Jones and Kelly Campbell, moved to the kitchen. Justin Merritt and Jonathan Kenny could have been in the master bedroom at this point, though it is not clear. Futters left the second bedroom and around this time Barrymore attempted to kiss him, although Futters rebuffed his advances. It is a short time later when Barrymore suggests to Shaw and Futters they should go outside for a dip in the water and collects three pairs of swimming shorts from the master bedroom where it is assumed that Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt are located. He was gone for approximately five minutes before returning to Shaw and Futters. The three got changed into their swimwear and the discovery of Stuart's body was made. However, who exactly found him is up for debate based on their statements. There seem to be numerous periods which would later be described in court as windows of opportunity when Stuart was alone with one or several of the other eight individuals and a crime could have been committed. But the biggest issue, aside from the fact there is at present no forensic evidence tying anyone to the crime, is the statements provided at the inquest and to the police are contradictory and incomprehensible, so it is understandable why the police struggle to charge anyone. Finally, in Not All White Getting Away With Murder, Terry Lubbock recalled the visit he received from the police to be told his beloved son had died. This visit prompted some incredibly odd questions. Terry was asked if Stuart was up for it, with the officer asking about Stuart's sexuality. The question that remained in Terry's mind after the meeting was, at that point, an autopsy had not been completed, so why were the officers insensitively asking about Stuart's sexual orientation? Did they know about Stuart's injuries? And if so, how? What was described as a dossier was also handed to Essex Police from Tony Bennett. This included claims that Stuart had been dead for an hour before the emergency services were contacted. It alleged that Stuart was never in the water, with his body left damp by the poolside to make it appear as though he had drowned by accident. As the backside of Stuart's underwear was not bloody, inconsistent with a severe injury and hemorrhage, It was argued that this suggested that he may have been wearing something else which was removed, 
Maybe they were the pair of black swimming shorts that he had been seen wearing by Claire Jones and others. The call to emergency services was placed sometime shortly after quarter to six in the morning, but some of the partygoers stated Stuart was found between 4 to 5 a.m. As neighbours reported hearing screaming around 5 a.m., this did lend some credence to this theory. However, everyone present was inebriated to some degree, hence it is certainly possible that this could have affected their memory of the event. In his autobiography, Michael Barrymore wrote that he believed Stewart's injuries were not sustained at Beaumont Park Drive, but caused by a thermometer, or his body was attacked post-death in the mortuary. Tensions between Terry Lubbock and Michael Barrymore became even more heated when on one occasion during October 2006... Stuart's father turned up to a book signing, buying a copy of Barrymore's book so he could confront him. When he was recognised, Barrymore said, Hello, Terry. Terry Lubbock shouted, You're a liar, Barrymore, and you can stick the book where the sun don't shine. He was escorted off the premises by security. Terry was asked why he did it and replied that he had complete and utter contempt for Barrymore, saying that they had met earlier that year, but Barrymore had never made contact again and was now using the tragedy to relaunch his career. I do think my son was murdered, Terry said. Someone is responsible for his death and those terrible injuries inflicted on him. With Essex Police now in possession of the dossier from Tony Bennett and the Lubbock family, in December it was announced that a new inquiry was to be launched. Whether or not the information passed to the police prompted their action remains to be seen. There appeared to be no new evidence, and to some extent the procedure was routine. However, it was hoped with a fresh set of eyes someone might find something otherwise missed during the already lengthy investigation several media interviews had since been conducted. Responding to the news, Terry Lubbock spoke about how he felt. Quite elated, but cautious, because the fight is not over. Um, When we get arrests, when people are charged, then... I will be totally and utterly elated. Michael Barrymore told a number of reporters that he would offer every assistance with the investigation as he just wanted everyone to be able to move on with their lives. Absolutely thrilled uh, that the case is being opened. I've been asking for years for this to be done and uh, to bring it to a conclusion, essentially for uh, Stuart's family and for myself. While Stuart Lubbock's death was being investigated, another inquiry was launched into the very people that looked into his death in the first place. A grievance was filed with the Independent Police Complaints Commission. They investigate complaints and allegations of misconduct made against police forces in England and Wales. Tony Bennett, who was acting as the lawyer to the Lubbock family, gave a statement about their concerns 
which was something that had already been raised in the book he had written together with Terry Lubbock. He said, Our complaint centres on information police gave to a coroner and a number of pathologists. They said Stuart had been seen swimming in the pool earlier in the evening. We believe that this was not true and feel that the police should at least have made it clear that there was some doubt about it. Terry Lubbock has complained that there was either serious incompetence or some form of corruption. We are delighted that the IPCC is to investigate and we will help in any way we can. All Mr Lubbock has ever wanted is the truth about what happened to his son. The investigation by the police watchdog was to be carried out by another force, who would act impartially under the direction of the IPCC. Terry Lubbock lived in hope that one day he would find out what happened to Stuart. That belief took one step closer to becoming a reality, when in some shocking news, during the middle of June 2007, three men were arrested. The dramatic turn came when the men aged 32, 37 and 55 were taken into custody and questioned at separate police stations on suspicion of sexual assault and murder. Terry Lubbock had not been told the arrests were going ahead, but when he found out, he said that he did not feel any sense of excitement as he had been let down so many times in the past. I've almost lost count of the number of times that Essex Police have reopened my son's case. I think it's five or six times now that they've reopened it. It's almost like a case. They've opened it up, closed it, hoping that I'll forget about it. Following the news, It was announced that the IPCC investigation into how Essex police handled the inquiry was put on hold while the suspects were questioned. Offering a statement to the press, an Essex police spokesperson said, Today's arrests are a culmination of work over 12 months in the form of a review and investigation. Police analysed the 999 call and further forensic testing had been completed. Essex police walked the same path they took with the initial investigation, trying to understand where they had gone wrong. As news of the arrest broke, it was revealed that the suspects were in fact Michael Barrymore, his former lover Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt. It was the first time Barrymore had been questioned as a suspect. The police force offered few clues as to what new information they might have, but there were some rumours that detectives had since received a copy of a recorded interview that Barrymore conducted for a biography that fell through. The recording with Tony Cowell, an author and journalist who was going to be involved in writing the book, included information about the night in question. The working relationship between Tony Cowell and Michael Barrymore ultimately became strained, so it was decided they would not work together. But somehow the recording was obtained by the tabloids. There was one quote that came out of the unreleased book, published in the Sun newspaper 
in which Barrymore described what he saw. While the reliability of the transcript was in doubt, Barrymore reportedly told Cal, You see a man lying motionless in crystal clear water, with the underwater lighting, and however still the body may be, there is still movement. Small, even waves ripple the body. My mouth wanted to form the words, Oh my God, but nothing came out. Oh God, surely he is just resting in that position was my only thought. Any second now, he will start to swim back to the edge. As I went to move forward, my legs carried me nowhere. Yet an ambulance. Who said it? I have no idea. I went to carry out the request, but as I did, another voice told me, It's done. It's on the way. I was still glued to the same position. Two of the girls emerged from the lower end of the garden and immediately let out the kind of scream that only girls can make. My head held one sentence on an endless loop, and unlike the music, it did not stop. Please don't die. Please don't die. The tape then reportedly contained Barrymore's thoughts on Stuart's father. I think Terry Lubbock has become addicted to the notoriety. He has sold story after story although the money apparently goes to the Lubbock Trust, but the Lubbock Trust is him. What does that tell you? I understand he wants the truth. So do I. But that is a separate issue. Separate from the money. While Barrymore was being questioned, some of his fans waited outside the police station at Southwood and Ferrers in Essex. One supporter held a poster that read, We love you, Michael. Justin Merritt had been arrested by the Lancashire Constabulary and Jonathan Kenny by the Staffordshire Police. An extension was granted for further questioning, but no charges were laid. The three men were released on police bail without charge, but would have to continue reporting to the police station as per their bail conditions until September 10th. Michael Barrymore was allowed to leave from the back entrance of Southwood and Ferrers Station to avoid the crowd of reporters that were waiting outside. As detectives continued to look for answers, one lead took them to the other side of the world, specifically New Zealand. Barrymore had moved there temporarily away from the UK press who had been following his every move. There, he slowly started to rebuild his career before returning home. It was rumoured the witness was a confidant, someone that Barrymore had shared a secret with, but the Essex police were giving little away. At the same time, detectives desperately tried to piece together what happened, with some of the further statements they received. Trying to reconstruct everyone's movements on that night was proving difficult, as either Barrymore and his guests genuinely couldn't remember, or there was something they were holding back. The statements were littered with inconsistencies, but some were more questionable than others. Jonathan Kenny told police that he had been in the jacuzzi with Justin Merritt and Stuart Lubbock. They got out sometime between 3.30am and 4.30am. No one can be exactly sure. And Kenny said that along with Merritt... They spent the next 20 to 30 minutes chatting. 
At this point, he claimed he saw Barrymore change into a pair of shorts. Kenny said that five minutes later, Barrymore appeared telling them there was a body in the pool. While it was clear that the guests congregated together minus Stuart, this still leaves a considerable amount of time between the discovery and the emergency services being contacted. Reportedly, in one statement, Kenny said the discovery was made around 4.30 to 4.45am, well before the phone call to 999 over an hour later. While this is suspicious, it must be stressed that everyone at 4 Beaumont Park Drive was inebriated, so this would most certainly impair their ability to accurately recall what happened and at what time. Though an exact cause of Stuart's death could be argued, Stuart was the victim of a violent sexual assault. Someone at the party clearly knows what happened, and the police had an idea of who it might be. However, proving it was another matter. Michael Barrymore's relationship with Tony Cowell, the writer for his biography, wasn't the only professional relationship to come under strain. The authors of the book Not All White Getting Away With Murder also parted ways in a business capacity after the police were notified about a possible hate crime. It was alleged that Tony Bennett had left a derogatory comment on the website for the Lubbock Trust. While Bennett, who had his fair share of controversy in the past, denied he did any such thing, filing a counter-complaint to the police suggesting that looking into the matter would be a waste of time. The complaint led to the pair dissolving the Lubbock Trust, which up until that point had been used to highlight some of the otherwise overlooked information on the case. Although to this day it is not known who made the complaint, Terry Lubbock felt that it was submitted to hinder any positive publicity surrounding the intentions of the book he had written, but raised awareness about his son's case. The day finally came, when it was decided who would be charged. It was hoped the police had found the person or people responsible. But again, history repeated itself. There was yet more disappointment for Stewart's family. All three suspects, Michael Barrymore, Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt, were told they would not face charges. As based on the evidence collected, the Crown Prosecution Service felt there was not a realistic prospect of conviction. There was nothing that pointed to a specific person causing Stuart Lubbock's death or the severe internal injuries suggestive of a sexual assault. We are disappointed that our latest inquiries have not brought us the answers the police and Stuart's family are looking for and we remain committed to finding out the truth of what happened that night. I am convinced that someone knows what has happened and I hope their conscience or their obligation to do the right thing will eventually prevail. While the case was still open, and the senior investigating officer, Detective Superintendent Gareth Wilson, said he was disappointed, 
He stressed that Essex police were committed to finding out the truth of what happened on that night. It was approaching Christmas 2007, almost seven years since his son had died. Terry Lubbock had vowed to continue fighting. As the police now accepted that Stewart suffered criminal injuries, his father was able to submit a claim to the Criminal Injuries Compensation Authority. He received a few thousand pounds, all of which went towards raising awareness about his son's case. His fight to get justice and find the person responsible had been all-consuming. Terry was found unconscious at his home in Essex. He collapsed after having a seizure and remained sedated in hospital awaiting a brain scan. Terry had previously suffered a bleed on the brain during 2004, which very nearly killed him. In the intervening years between the inquest and his hospitalisation, he did all he could to confront Michael Barrymore, picketing his shows and showing up at his public appearances. Much like the police, Terry was confident that there was more to the story. This certainly seemed to be the case when Ian Calder, a pathologist who gave evidence at the inquest, was interviewed for a Channel 4 documentary titled Michael Barrymore, What Really Happened? Before the programme was about to air, Calder offered his opinion to the Sunday Express. Discussing Stewart's death, the expert on drowning said, The injuries suggested a violent force. It is possible the shock of that happening could have killed him. We could not tell if he had drowned because the post-mortem did not take a sample of water from his lungs, so we could not tell if the water was chlorinated and had come from the pool. I'm not even sure if he was ever in the pool because the ambulance crew said they found his body by the side of the pool when they arrived at the house. His lungs did not look like drowned lungs. Calder went on to say, I have conducted my own lengthy and detailed research into cases involving hospital thermometers and I can tell you for certain that Stuart's injuries were not caused by a thermometer. It would not surprise me at all if a second inquest looks more at an unlawful death verdict. When Terry Lubbock was back on his feet, he continued to raise awareness photographed in a white shirt with the words Who Killed Stuart Lubbock? emblazoned on the front. Frustratingly for Stuart's family, it was announced a new inquest into his death was not possible and Terry was refused permission to appeal the decision at London's High Court. However, in some good news, the outcome of the investigation by the Independent Police Complaints Commission into the initial handling of the case by Essex Police was to be published. In his initial complaint, Terry Lubbock alleged that the Essex Police Force acted corruptly and the investigation was incompetent. The findings were released on February 24, 2009 
almost two years since the announcement that the investigation was taking place, and nearly eight years since Stuart's death. For Stuart Lubbock's father, Terry, this was the latest stage in a harrowing eight-year journey. He'd always questioned the police investigation. Now he was vindicated. The police have apologised unreservedly for shortcomings in the investigation. The report names two officers, Chief Superintendent Ian McNeil and Inspector Paul Spooner, but says they should not face disciplinary measures. The police force which investigated Stuart Lubbock's death apologised to his father, Terry, who this morning held aloft the report which prompted that apology. It's confirmed my worst fears about Essex Police, or, or rather they, they didn't follow the appropriate procedure. The report included a damning list of failures. The most crucial of which were two pieces of evidence that had been photographed at the scene, but were missing a pool thermometer, and a door handle from an outhouse cupboard. Neither had been forensically examined. It was considered these items may be the crucial link in finding out what happened to Stuart Lubbock that night. A police photographer captured an image of the jacuzzi, and on top there lay a five-inch rubber-ended thermometer. This image was printed in nearly every article reporting on the IPCC's findings. The door handle was said to be lying by the jacuzzi, but this too disappeared. Where had they gone? Had someone secreted these items away from the scene? Furthermore, the temperature of the pool was not taken until several hours after the incident, a procedure which was conducted by a member of the public, Mike Brown, Michael Barrymore's then PA who had since gone on to become his manager. Coincidentally, Brown had also come forward seven years earlier defending his boss, saying that he had never seen Barrymore swim when perjury charges were being considered after several people, including Barrymore's former wife, said that he lied at the inquest. The failures listed in the IPCC report included the following. The assumption that it was a drowning accident. Failure to treat the site as a crime scene. Failure to seize or test the door handle and pull thermometer, with the latter's dimensions consistent with the internal injuries suffered by Stewart. Delays investigating blood found at the scene. Allowing a member of the public, Mike Brown, to take the temperature of the pool. And finally suspending the investigation prematurely. David Petch, Commissioner for the IPCC, said that while the investigation could not be described as incompetent, In his words, there were failings in some aspects of the investigation. Quote, There are absolutely no grounds to support allegations that officers acted corruptly. The view that the entire investigation was incompetent is not borne out of the bulk of the evidence. There are many more instances where they got it right than when they got it wrong. And what we have to bear in mind, of course, is that both Mr Lubbock and indeed our investigation has the benefit of hindsight here. We know a great deal more than the police knew on the morning. Uh, And we have to aim off for that to some degree in making a judgment. Uh, And in making that judgment, I have decided and and the force have recommended that uh, the police officers involved should get advice for what they did wrong. They did get things wrong, but they didn't get them grossly wrong, and that's that's where the, the balance lies. 
For the failings, the Deputy Chief Constable of Essex Police delivered a personal apology to Stuart Lubbock's father, telling him that they remained determined to find out what happened. Issues with the initial investigation were not the only problems. As to compound matters, Dr Michael Heath was brought before a government disciplinary panel. He had carried out Stuart Lubbock's initial post-mortem, ruling he drowned, and he offered evidence at the inquest to that effect. Heath was an experienced pathologist and had performed hundreds of examinations, but in 2006 it was found he had made severe errors when he concluded that two women had been murdered. This led to their partners being arrested and found guilty before they were subsequently acquitted and released. The Home Office advisory judgment found that Heath, quote, vigorously advanced conclusions based on an unacceptable level of speculation. Heath would go on to resign from the Home Office register, though would be declared fit to practice again some years later. It had been nine years since Stuart died, and Terry Lubbock continued to campaign. In an interview with BBC Essex marking the anniversary, he admitted that the only way that anything is going to happen now is if somebody comes forward. I just can't see that. A month later, Terry suffered a suspected stroke and was taken to the same hospital where his son was pronounced dead. No doubt Stuart's unexplained death was still taking its toll. The family marked the 10-year anniversary, then the 11th, then the 12th, then the 13th, then the 14th. They did not receive the justice they deserved. But Michael Barrymore, who was still insistent that he was not involved in Stuart's death, felt he too was the victim of an injustice over his arrest in 2007. So he sued the chief constable of Essex Police. Barrymore believed that the arrest had damaged his employment prospects, as up until the investigation, he had had a high-profile television career. It would be this court case that opened up Pandora's box and the unintended consequences of Barrymore's actions would achieve quite the opposite of his desire to receive £2.4 million in compensation. Essex police would be forced to defend themselves, and in doing so they would have to provide the reasons for why Barrymore was arrested, something that would have otherwise remained unknown to the public. This is the end of episode 51. To hear the final part of this case on the death of Stuart Lubbock, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to our Patreon supporters. 
If you want to reach out to discuss this case or if you have any recommendations, please feel free to contact us through our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Instagram under They Walk Among Us podcast or on Twitter under TWAU underscore podcast. For more information about this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.